The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of His name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow, will to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come Sheltered from the coming storm While you have breath 
you have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living being saying, You must come and you must look. And behold, a black horse, and the one sitting upon him having a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living beings saying, A quart of wheat for a day's pay. Three quarts of barley for a day's pay. But do not damage the olive or the vineyard. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being saying, You must come and you must look. And behold, a pale horse and the one sitting on him, the name for him is Death. And Hades was following with him. And authority was given to him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. The Four Horses of the Apocalypse We have seen the first, second, and the third is now riding across the land and there will be a total financial reset. And then soon, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse will go charging across the earth, and a fourth of the people of the earth will die. They will die by war, by famine, by pestilence, and by the beasts of the earth. Revelation the sixth chapter. God has a timetable. We are watching as that timetable unfolds before us even now as we watch. I want to take you back to the Old Testament today. I have a story I want to share with you with a very specific purpose. I want you to see clearly that the human heart is utterly deceived, believing that we are somehow in charge of our own destiny. Well, yes, we do have freedom of choice. But God intervenes on his timetable to save your soul. 
And if you will obey, and if you will respond as he comes in the midst of great anguish and pain, he will save you. But if you do not respond, you will die in confusion and anguish of heart. In the sixth chapter of the book of Judges, we have a story, and I could have chosen any one of the occurrences of rebellion and sin among the book of the Judges. They all are basically the same story over and over. It's why I so dislike reading the book of Judges, it it causes me heartburn. For I know it is the story of, of our lives and of the American church. Today, the American church is like a huge giant laying down in the midst of the filth of this world. It is being oppressed and torn apart by rats, by sin. Every kind of stinging insect has come upon it. Every kind of wickedness has tried to invade and has been successful in making the church apostate and sick. But God loves his church. And at the appropriate time, he will intervene. What we see happening in the American church and the church the West has affected in Africa, in Asia, all around the world, the adulteries, the fornication of the American church has infiltrated and sickened the body of Jesus. The prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it gospel, the institutional religion, the wickedness of pastors, ambition, self, has sickened the American church to the point we have no power left. We are scoffed at and scorned by the world. We are seen as not essential. And the pastors roll over almost unanimously and and say, yes, we are not. We are not essential. Let's do our little deal on the screen. Let's not hold church. God's people in their wickedness Say, so, oh yes, thank you. We'll watch, we'll watch a little bit of entertainment from church on our television or on our internet. We'll, we'll watch a little when it's convenient. The church in the West, in America specifically, is dreadfully sick and dying. It is being destroyed from the inside out. Every sexual perversion has made its way 
into the American church, so much so that the American church proudly flies the flag of perversion in the front of its sanctuary. So it was in Judges, the sixth chapter. The Israelites, again, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the church today is doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. The horses of the apocalypse are galloping across the world while American churches are building larger and larger edifices to their own glory and their own power as they stack up as much brush as they can so that they can be somebody important. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the church in America is evil in the eyes of the Lord. God has a timetable. He will not allow evil to continue forever in his church. He has sent over and over these judgments upon the church, giving them over to wickedness, giving them over to perversion. And then he'll send a great revival. He's done that time after time. Charles Finney asked the question, when is it time for revival? When the church has turned its back on the Lord Jesus and follows its own rituals and its own traditions, the traditions of men, the church calendar, and all that's involved with the institutionalized religion. And then God will send a revival. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, For seven years... He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. In other words, as the church turns and pursues its own evil course, God will begin to send judgments upon the land. He has a timetable that he will allow his church to go only so far. And this time the church has gone further than I've seen it go in my lifetime. gone into its formalism, into its denominationalism, into its institutionalized practices and beliefs, and and then the Midianites come. Verse 2, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and other eastern people invaded the country 
They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now here's the pattern that we see repeatedly in the life of individual Christians and in the life of the church where finally the misery level reaches a certain point. God increases his judgments against the land, against the church, against the individual, until finally that person, that church, begins to cry out to God. Before every great revival, there has been a people, a man, someone who has finally cried out to God and said, we can't continue this way. There must be a change. We must leave our dead formalism. We must leave our entertainment behind. We must get to God. The heat of discomfort in America has not risen yet to a level that the American church will turn and cry out to God. They can be told, you're not essential. Close your churches down. Put your little mask on. And yet the church has not lost its comfort because it can stay at home. It has money. It can buy its food. It can buy its entertainment. It can buy its new clothes. It can buy its new car. It can move to a new house. Things have not gotten so bad in America that the American lifestyle is not a wonderful lifestyle of luxury and entertainment. But I've come to say to you today, we're on a timetable, God's timetable. It's called the timetable of the four horses of the apocalypse. And we are coming now into a time. You don't need to believe me. You can say you're an alarmist. You're a doom and gloom. I don't care what you call me because I don't come and give these messages to gain your approval. I come and present these messages that the Lord God of heaven has given to me to say, Make a covenant with Almighty God. Cry out to Him. Make a covenant that you will only receive from the hand of God what He chooses to give you. I once heard a man say, Yes, I will receive only what God chooses to give me. Until he needed a new truck. And then he went out and spent an exorbitant amount of money justifying it because this is what I need for my job. Woo! Really? Deep in debt. Under an incredible burden of debt. 
Did God put him in debt? No. He reached out and took what he thought he needed for himself to be happy and do what he thought he was wanting to do, to deliver himself. Do you see how deceptive this becomes? I'm driving a car that is old, ancient. It has rust spots on the roof. The car's been pretty well traumatized on one side with one door handle missing, a side mirror missing. The paint pretty well scarred up on one side by the one who had it before I have it. Almost 200,000 miles on it. I'd like to go get another car. Will I? No. Why? Because God hasn't given me another car. I'm not going to reach out my hand and take for myself what I think I would like to have for myself. If I do, I will, according to Isaiah 50, lie down in torment. I've done enough time in the torment closet. I don't need any more torment in my life. I want you to hear what I'm saying. If you stop reaching out your hand and you stop taking what you think you want in this world, whether it's responsibilities, whether it's luxuries, whether it's things you consider absolutely necessary, so I have to do this and God will have to just understand. No, he will not understand. He will not understand. They cry out to the Lord because they can no longer live under the oppression of the Midianites. They are being ravaged. Their food is being taken. Their wealth is being stolen. They recognize that they are not going to be able to learn and grow and prosper under these conditions. Now, the Lord sent a prophet and he said this to Israel. I brought you up out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. You have not listened to me. They have not obeyed the Lord. God has a timetable for your and my deliverance. God has a timetable for the deliverance of his church. The misery level we experience will be pretty much dependent on whether we are completely and totally 
in covenant with Jesus to give every part of our life into his hands. Now, what's so astonishing about this God that we serve is that he did not just say, all right, I'm done with you. I'm leaving. No, he didn't do that. In verse 11, this is Judges 6, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orpha that belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Where do you thresh wheat? Up on the top of the hill where the wind is blowing. But the Midianites were watching for that, and they would have come and taken all of his wheat. So he was down in the valley, threshing the wheat in a wine press where it was much more difficult to separate the wheat and the chaff. angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. He's sitting there under the oak. And the Lord says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir... Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. An angel of God, probably the pre-incarnate Christ, comes and sits down where he can watch Gideon work. And he says, the Lord is with you. Gideon is not comforted by this. In fact, he's even quite impolite. He is rude. He responds, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why is God treating us this way? Why do I have this sickness? Why do I have this lack of money? Why do I, why do I have to leave my house? Why have I lost my car? Why, 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 why is my wife sick? Why is my husband sick? Why can't I just live a normal American life? Why these hardships? Well, right now, most of you can continue to live your wonderful American lifestyle. But some of you are feeling the pinch. Can I tell you? The pinch has just begun. The pinch is going to become a great deal more painful. Why? Because we thought we could live our normal American lifestyle. We could have our our nice little entertaining church. We could have Jesus as a part of our life, but just a part of our life, not the ruler of our life. We thought we could live the good American life. And Jesus is saying, time's up. No. 
I'm going to bring such misery and such hardship and such pain upon you until you honestly begin to cry out to me. Now Gideon, he's not crying out to the Lord. He's just complaining. Why has all this happened to us? Like, we're innocent. Why, what have we done to deserve all of this? Well, in the meantime, his father and his family, and probably Gideon, have been bowing at the altar of Baal with the Asherah pole, the illicit sexual perversion of Ashtaroth. Why has all of this happened to us? Are you kidding me? If the Lord had given to us what we deserve, there would not even be an America in our wicked perversion, in our killing of babies. The blood cries out to God Almighty. The sexualizing of our children. It's as though an evil king has determined to destroy the children of America, to murder them. Causes my heart great pain and anguish. Why has all this happened to us? Because we have done evil before the eyes of God. America has sinned in its pride and arrogance and exceptionalism. Gideon continues, where are all of his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? Where are all the wonders? Where are, where are the miracles? Where are the healings? We pray for the sick and nothing happens. Where Where's God? Maybe you've never faced having your husband or your wife die. I have. My wife, Jan, 12 years ago, died of cancer. And I cried out to the Lord day after day for her healing. And finally, the Lord spoke to me. And he said to me, you're too big for me to heal your wife. It utterly crushed me. I stopped praying for her healing. And soon she died. And in the years that came after that, I had to come to terms with what God meant when he said, you're too big for me to heal your wife. And I recognized that I thought I was entitled to have my wife healed. I wasn't. I was not entitled. 
I'm not entitled today to anything or to anybody. In the years that have passed, I've made some very serious mistakes in reaching out for what I thought I wanted and needed. And for some time after Jan passed, I didn't pray very much and I stopped reading the scriptures and I I just kept up the public ministry, but I was dead inside. And I began to understand what God meant when he said, you're too big for me to heal Jan. Those I had most counted on turned their back upon me. The Lord brought a few others at his own calling, for which I was very grateful. But my heart was broken. And slowly I came into the presence of God once more, crying out to him, repenting for being so big in my own eyes, humbling my heart before him. Gideon said to to the Lord, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. I thought the Lord had abandoned me and put me into the hand of death. I recognize now that I have been dramatically reduced and humbled before Almighty God. And I love him for humbling my heart, for forgiving me, for restoring our relationship. And knowing that my life is in his hands and that I have no accusation against God. He is God. After he finally finishes his tirade against the Lord, the Lord patiently listens Some of you today are in a tirade against God. It may be you're sick. It may be your wife is sick or your husband is sick. It may be that you've lost financially. It may be that that you recognize that you're dying. Maybe you've lost your house. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe there are other things in your life that are very painful for you. And some of you are still in a mad tirade against God. You're angry that God is treating you this way. Why has he abandoned you? He hasn't. God has a timetable for your deliverance. Will you trust him for that timetable? The Lord turns to him 
Evidently, the Lord had turned away from him as he went into his tirade, and I want to tell you, God will always turn aside his face as you angrily enter into your temper and tirade against him with your accusations and your bitterness and your anger. And finally, he will turn back to you when you are finished. When you've run out of all the words you want to say. God doesn't mind if you're mad with him. But when you're mad with him, he will turn aside his face. I've learned that the hard way. As long as we're walking in the pride of our heart, we're reaching out and grabbing that which we think we need in order to survive. As long as we're reaching out and doing what we think we have to do to just survive, God will turn his face aside from us. I used to have many plates spinning in the air all at the same time and a great deal of energy trying to keep the church happy and keep this person happy and keep that person off my back and and to progress and make... No, I finally said, let the plates all fall to the ground. I only want Jesus. And I only want what he'll give me from his hand. I don't want what a man will give me. I don't want what a woman will give me. I want what the Lord Jesus will give to me. The Lord turns to him and says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord... That's that's the usual human response. But, 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 Lord, 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 why? Why me? Why are you treating me this way, God? Why is this happening in my life? How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. Why, God, I can't do it. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. Well, he's right. He is weak. And he can't do it. (laughs) I had to learn that the hard way. I can't bring revival. I can't convince you to surrender to Jesus. I can't convince you to do anything. I can only say to you, God has a timetable and God does desire to deliver you and God does desire to use you for the work of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But you're going to have to stop making excuses. 
You're going to have to let go of your fear. You're going to have to surrender your get tough attitude. Some of you are so hard edged. You think you know. Oh, I know. Oh, God has had to break that hard edge out of my heart. It's accompanied by unbelief and cynicism and playing the victim, all of which is just human pride. Go in the strength you have. Lord, I don't have any strength. That's true. He doesn't have any strength. But I'm sending you. But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. Lord, I can't do anything. And he's right. He's down in the valley trying to thresh some wheat by himself. And now I want you to hear the Lord's answer. And it's the answer for you and for me. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. I want you to hear that. God calls you to enter into a covenant with him that you will take nothing from any person except from the hand of Jesus Christ. You won't reach out your hand and grab what you want. You won't demand that your husband or your wife be this way or that way. You won't demand that people treat you a certain way. All of your demands are set aside. You now simply put all of your trust in Jesus Christ. Does Jesus work in time and space and history? Yes, I'm a very practical man. I don't believe in fantasia. I don't believe in fantasy land. The Lord God of heaven carries me literally with expense, with health, with friendship, with ministry, with this radio broadcast, the Lord God of heaven carries me. I receive nothing except from the hand of God as he moves in the hearts and lives of other people and as he directs me and the steps that I should take. That's my life. Well, pastor, I can't do that. I have this and I have that and I have... Stop it. Stop it. It's not hard. It just takes a decision on your part. Will you or will you not stop reaching out and grabbing what you think you want? Will you simply trust God in every area and humble your heart before him? And if he wants you to be the one in his hand, to do something for him? Yes, Lord, I can't do it, but you can. Now Gideon 
Finally, it begins to dawn on him that that an angel of God is sitting in front of him, and he has not died. The glory of God is there. It finally sinks in that he better stop complaining, and he better find out if this person is really God. So he says, if I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. The Lord said, I will wait until you return. How long has God been waiting for you to return? To offer your offering before Almighty God. And what offering has God asked you to bring? Remember Cain and Abel? In the Hebrew, the problem with the offering was not that Cain did not bring a lamb. The problem, according to the Hebrew language, is that Cain was stingy in his giving to God, while Abel was abundant. Have you been stingy in what you've given to God? Or have you given hilariously and abundantly to God? The Lord, the God of heaven and earth, says, I'll wait for you to bring an offering. I can't imagine it, that the God of the universe is willing to sit with a man and say, okay, I'll wait for you. I want to tell you, God has been waiting for you to make some choices and decisions. I've been calling you to come out of the institutional church of religion and and seek after Jesus with all of your heart, to hunger for Jesus, to look for him, to read the scriptures, to pray, to cry out to him. Gideon went in and he prepared a young goat and he made bread without yeast. He put the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. How long would it take you to go bake bread and cook meat? That's how long God waited on him. And he brought them out to the Lord. The angel of God, the messenger of God, I believe, the pre-incarnate Christ, said, take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on the rock and pour out the broth. And so Gideon did it. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. 
When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, you are safe. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And the Gideon immediately builds a proper altar to the Lord. And he called it, The Lord is Peace. The Lord is waiting for you. Things are going to become much, much more difficult and painful. We are going to see a total financial reset, which means banks are going to close and you're going to lose all the money that's in the bank. The stock market is going to crash. Many are saying at least 80% on the Dow Jones. We are going to see the destruction of the American economy. We're going to see famine in our land probably by Christmas time. We're going to see a very painful time in America. Why? Because we as a nation, as a church, as individuals, have done evil before the Lord our God. And he is going to do whatever is necessary to cause America to finally begin to cry out to God or to curse God. Some will cry out and some will curse. Which will you do? Which are you doing? Some of you are still running your own life, making your own choices, going your own way, just surviving. Some of you are living Quite comfortably, thank you very much. That's about to end. And you're going to have to make some very serious choices about time and money and place. And then you're going to have to cry out to God. When you begin to cry out to God, he will bring a great revival upon our land. And the church of Jesus Christ will arise out of its degradation. The false pastors will be set apart, set aside, cast out. The great edifices built to man's glory will crumble. And Jesus will be honored. He will not share his glory with any man. And revival is going to come to this land. I hear some say, oh, no, revival. There's nowhere in the scripture that says revival is coming. No, you don't understand the ways of God. Read the scriptures always before that bitter judgment comes upon Israel or upon God's people. He brings a great revival of repentance and holiness. Do you think he's going to come? and whisk a dirty, ugly, institutional church in some kind of secret rapture, and you're going to escape 
the trauma? No, that's not going to happen. We will be saved out of the tribulation. Jesus will come for his people. You can spare yourself much anguish and heartbreak if you will begin to cry out to God now. Tomorrow is a day of prayer. We'll spend one hour praying. I ask, please, would you would you prepare your heart now to pray for the church tomorrow? We're going to pray for the church tomorrow. I don't want to pray for a wicked government. I don't want to pray for a wicked nation. I want to pray for the church. I love the church. Even though I say and recognize that it's utterly apostate. Degraded. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. Or write to me, please. Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Thanks to each of you who's walking with me, who's encouraging me with, with your gifts to help me pay for radio. I love you all. Make a covenant with God today that you will only receive what he gives you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.